If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans. We're in this incredible, amazing book that Paul wrote to that church, to the people there at Rome. And, and I just, I, it's really important as we go through, we pick it up today in chapter three, the end of chapter three. If you want chapter three, 21, we'll be, we'll be jumping in. But, but here's the thing. Romans was not written primarily for evangelism. A lot of people, that's kind of news. You know, you know the Romans road, and we know we tell people and try to tell people about Jesus. We use Romans because it's such an amazing book for that. But it was written to believers. It was written to you and I in this room who actually trust in Jesus because we need encouragement. Like, it's, it's an amazing book. Not just, you know, that people who don't believe that they should believe, but... Oh, he longed, you know, he longed to get to Rome. He wanted to get there so he could talk about the gospel and they could talk about it to him and, and he couldn't get there and he kept getting stopped. And so he finally wrote this letter to write them, to encourage them, his piece of saying, what I'd like to share about the gospel, this amazing, great, good news is this. And so he wrote Romans. It's to believers because we need encouragement, grounding understanding our relationship with God and each other, rejoicing. Now, if you've been here for it all for the past few weeks, you say, wait a second, Swanson, rejoicing. You've been spending every week telling us how bad we are. Been poking. I've been trying to get you mad. You know, I just up here and say, how can I really say something to really offend somebody today? It's not been working. I didn't get any angry emails. Not a single angry text, but you know what? I tried hard and I will tell them that we're so bad in all the ways in which we think we're okay, but we're not okay. That was Paul's tact, you know. He said, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, because the power of God at work, because the righteousness of God revealed, but primarily because you know God's wrath is just visible everywhere. And he's talking about people in the world. And we all kind of nod, yeah, yeah, but we don't, we don't get it, you know. In our flesh, in this world, we live by this incredible system of obedience for blessing. Effort for results. Build your character, good will happen. And rightly so, and we defend this beautiful law of God, and we try and keep the world on the straight and narrow, you know. That's the best we can. I mean, that's kind of the battle. At least I think that's what the battle is because, you know, unbelievers are constantly chipping away at the good law of God. And so I need to affirm it and and, and get it out there because, because it's being undermined. Have you seen our society lately? Fight the good fight of holding the standards of God's way of blessing. That's why today is the big reveal. Something amazing's happening today in our text. This is absolutely huge. We're kind of slowing down a little bit for it. We'll see how much time I have. But because because honestly, I long for rightness under the law. I want people to get better in themselves, right? And, and, and so how we normally say this, and I try and describe, so like there's two rooms. There's a room here, we'll put it right in the middle, in our face, of people who just live for themselves. They're not good people. They're not following the law of God. They're, 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 they're unrighteous, right? 
hedonistically, wrongly, fleshly, serving themselves, ignoring God. And, and, and then over here, there's another room. I'll put it over here because you guys look really good today. This group over here, you can be the good people. You'll be in the good room of people doing their very best to live according to the law. They're maybe not doing it right, but they're trying hard, right? To please him, to obey him, to serve God. Oh, I want to be over in this room. I long for it. I want to be the one who says, I love your law, O God, like honey from the honeycomb. I want to train myself to do what's right and true and good. And in my eyes, obedience towards blessing is a viable way to go. If I could just get this world cleaned up. Please God by keeping his simple rules and honoring him and he will lift me up and everybody needs to be over here. So I'm going to move people, myself too, from this room over to that one. I will lead the way. I long for rightness under the law. Moral uprightness. You know, that's the definition of righteousness. Just uprightness, rightness. There's a a moral aspect to it, a pleasing aspect to it. It's a working definition, right? Upstanding me, integrity and honesty, a person of character and honor. I want righteousness under the law, in myself, reasonable, so, so this has been a frustrating couple of weeks, honestly. Because Paul, what was the name of Thor's hammer? He takes that hammer and he hits my notion of how this all works. He's taken it apart. You want law to guide your steps into goodness? The law sure is good and its purpose is totally different. Those rooms you're talking about, they're a pipe dream. They are the same room of disobedient nonsense, says Paul. There's nobody good, he said last week, right? No, not one. He's talking about everybody. And then he ended his diagnosis of how horrible we are, especially we who think we are good and upright and upstanding in ourselves by our God-aided works in this short summary of what the law actually does. And we ended on this sort of thing. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be made accountable to God. You get what it's saying, right? Everybody, everywhere, Christians and non-Christians, Jews and Gentiles, men and women and children, every single mouth stopped. Stopped from talking about their obedience. Everybody held accountable. I don't think that's good for us. I mean... We, we, we have trouble really grasping this. I, I've tried to give a couple examples over the course of these weeks. One of them I chose because it, it doesn't seem so bad, you know. I talked about me and food. I like to eat. I like more carbs than is healthy for my body. So I, you know, I, I, I like that. And so I, I, it's one of these things. It's kind of socially acceptable. There's other things that are bad. I don't do. I avoid all sorts of horrible things. But this one, you know, kind of caught me and I really like, and I control it. 
And when I control it and I train myself to eat smaller portions or to avoid candy bars or to whatever it is, right? By the way, then somebody on my birthday gives me a big bag of candy bars. That's not kind to me. (laughs) Where's Dupenthaler? (laughs) So the reality is, right, for me, that's and I feel like, oh, I'm being good by not doing what I desire to do, which is eat more food, and to hold back because it's righteous. No, it's not righteous. It's showing that I'm not righteous because from the heart, I'm supposed to desire to do exactly what's best for my body that God made. I should be perfectly loving to do everything right that could ever be done, and I don't. That's the problem, right? I have desires that aren't for the best health of me. I don't always want to exercise. I don't follow precise regimen that would maximize my time. And I'd say, well, that dax, come on. I mean, you got a little liberty there, buddy. Okay, when I die early and my kids don't get the counsel of their dad, for 10 years I could have lived longer. When the ministry that I could have done doesn't happen because I perished, because I ate too much food. When my eating of food is like the people in Africa don't get to eat food because I ate it all. Again, I'm being dumb. I, I, I know. I'm just saying that, that it echoes. Everything echoes out, right? And, and I do this and then there's somebody over here. No, you guys are the good. There's somebody over here. Nah. Somebody loves money too much. Goes after it just a little too much because they desire that security. Somebody has anxiety too much. They don't trust God, you know. And so they're struggled with anxiety and that affects their affect and splashes on people around them. So somebody is fearful. We have all of these things. They're all interwoven in the human existence and it all cries out. No, you are not who you ought to be. I haven't hit any of the big ones. Murder. Adultery. Everybody's off, all in different ways. And somebody wants to drink too much. Somebody loves money, gets frustrated. I, you know, so often what we do is we kind of say, well, you know, when I became a Christian, God helps me keep the law. Right? He will help me be justified under the law. And, and what I have in my head is that I'm going to move from this room where I had the wrong desires and I was just sort of hedonistically living and God's going to slowly move me over to the room of obedience for blessing. Because the law is over all of this. So we ended on this last week. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Like that this is totally damning to this kind of viewpoint that so many of us both grew up with as Christian. And Paul's saying, No, I want to share that for the gospel. It's so amazing. Here's what it is. This beautiful law is there to show you you're a stinker in your flesh. Without hope in yourself. There are not two rooms I've been talking about. I've been talking about one room. And the room has the law over it. And people are under it. And the law continues to accuse everybody. And if you you focus in, you say, well, I'm going to judge that person. Paul's whole point has been, yeah, you who judge, you're judged. In fact, you're even worse because you think that you're doing okay. 
one big room, the law over it all, and judged. We don't keep the law. The law's meant to keep you firmly in the bad me room. Because the better me room is the same as the bad me room. They're only deceived and lying to themselves, and I'm in that room a lot. Ah, oof. I thought we were going somewhere fun today, Tex. Yeah, this is where we've been, though, right? Because there are two rooms. There's this whole room under the law, striving to get better, to please God with who you are. And then there's a whole another room over here. Boy, you guys lucked out. You thought this was the good room. We're going to all get ourselves over here. But actually, we're presented with this incredible news today, the big reveal. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. It declares a whole nother room, a whole different world of life, not righteousness longed for, rightness given. Rightness given. Apart from the law, in Christ. It's entirely different. And so he says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, shown, revealed, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Don't don't miss this. It is apart from the law. It is not in, under, around the law. It is separate. He says, oh, but, but, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Yes, they do. And so what he's doing is he's saying, it's, it's not this system that you obey to get blessed and you disobey to be cursed. And this is what you're working on over here. This is saying the revelation of God, the oracles of God that he's already referred to, the, the, the actual statements that the Jews got to have about who God was, even woven all through the stories, is pointing forward to this other room. It bears witness, the Old Testament does, to this incredible rightness of God. The righteousness of God. I'll tell you what, nobody wants you to know it. Because now even my slides don't want to work. Somebody's got to do it for me, you guys. They're not working, none of them. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the room. It's so simple, you can put it on a napkin. Look, look, rightness of God. What? No, I don't want that verse. There we go. The rightness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is amazing. The goodness, the declarative statement, the actual reality. God's rightness for you is not in the law, but in trusting Jesus. And that's because, that's because over here we're all twisted. There's no hope in there. But, but over here, here's God and he's going to give a gift, right? That, that's where he goes. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, 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 that's therefore we trusters in Jesus. We kind of look at each other. We see lawbreakers, but, but we're upright. Says there, everybody's the same. Everybody's a sinner. And, and guess what? Even after they pray a prayer, 
I mean, it shouldn't be news to you, but somehow some people think it is. You know, we can't talk about that. You know, the reality is every single person in this room continues to struggle with sin. That's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we're going to be right and true and pleasing and useful and used, it's going by be by simply trusting, that's faith, in Jesus as a gift. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is the engine. This is the wheelhouse of the room that we are coming into. This is where we're going to live. It's amazing. God says you are right, you are true, you are upright, you are good. Not by doing, but by gift. His gift. This is grace unearned through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. He's done it all, and, and that's why we say all the time, around, he did it, and it worked. Because you're tempted to think he did it, and it didn't work, because I continue to struggle with sin, and I want to see some, some change over here under the law in this room, and it doesn't work, and so I go, well, maybe it didn't work over here. No, 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 the whole thing is you're trusting in what somebody else has already done, that he did it, and it worked. You receive it, you trust it, period. Not to go do some law, but to be right and true and good and to belong. You belong here. Trust Jesus, you belong. He gives this big word here, and I I don't know if you caught it there. It says redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and I kind of get redemption. That means he rescued us, but whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. And what raises in our mind is this idea of this angry, angry God, and he's he's got his pitchfork out, and he's stabbing Jesus. And Jesus is like taking the wrath of God upon himself, that kind of idea. And, And I think we're not getting that quite right. But what does it mean that Jesus absorbed that? It's... It's a word that's only used a couple times in the whole New Testament. Really rare word. But it has its roots in a word that's used a lot in the Old Testament. This thing called the mercy seat. Where the holiness of God in the Ark of the Covenant that no one got to go into except once a year, the priest, right? Could go into this holy place. And he couldn't just come in. Before he came in, he had to take some blood and sprinkle it. And where he sprinkled it was on this covering that covered that ark. In order that he wouldn't be killed, in order that holiness, he could actually come into God's presence, there's actually this covering. Luther called it the nodding stool. We call it the mercy seat, but it's not like, oh, it's a throne you sit on. No, it's a covering. That blood that prevented the unworthiness of the flesh of the priest to come into the presence of the holy God. And so when it says that Jesus got put forth as appreciation, Jesus, it doesn't mean, oh, look, 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 this is pointing back to the mercy seat. No, no, no. He's saying the mercy seat pointed forward to Jesus because it's so much better. 
You and I, we don't do the law. The law accuses us, and it's right. And we go, oh, I have no hope in me. And I turn, that's repentance. I change my mind about what I'm going to do. And now I stand in this room by gift, God says, I give you. And Jesus covers me. His righteousness for me. I'm clothed in the white, amazing truth of Jesus. I'm actually in Christ. It's incredible. He is the mercy seat. His blood covers us. That's what he's saying. It's so amazing and deep. We are a part of what he has done. His blood for us. We holy by mercy. Everything that he did, we get to be part of just by trusting him. He's that good and amazing. He makes us something entirely new. That's what the Old Testament's pointing to. That's the law and the prophets. You see, you see, this room isn't God sort of deciding, oh, I think I'll be bad. I think I'll just hang out with bad people. Oh no. This room is the revealing of God's righteousness, his rightness. Because for so long, he let people get away with thinking they were advancing on their own by the things that they did. Right? That's, that's what he says. He says this was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Do you, do you know what happens when you live your life and you think, I'm living my life and I, and I did something and I kind of got away with it and I had it away and I, and I, you know what happens? Normally you do it again. And especially if you think, okay, I'm actually doing the law of God and I do it and I do it imperfectly because everybody does it imperfectly. And I think, oh, the law doesn't condemn me. It affirms me. Where do you end up? You end up in pride. You end up thinking your bad stuff is good stuff. That's where we end up. And says, no, what God was actually doing is that he was showing forbearance, patience, overlooking. And he overlooked, why? Because the Old Testament was pointing forward to this incredible, incredible thing that was coming. What was that? Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, come down from heaven, living on earth, fulfilling the law of God, dying on a cross for our sins, rising from the dead. And he gives as a gift. Anybody who's just said, I, I want that. I trust you, Jesus. Amazing. And this is saying that, right? There's nothing, nothing for you and I to do. He has done it all. We trust him. He's the mercy seat. He's the covering and and, and that didn't just show God's righteousness that he was like, okay, why did he overlook that these people weren't perfect? It's also for now, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just to forgive every single sin. I was used to struggle over that, you know, in First John 1, where it says that God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful to forgive it. It doesn't say merciful, it says just. He's faithful and just, First John 1 says, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How could he be just? Because Jesus paid it all, that's why. Because it's about Jesus, that's why. Because it's not about you, that's why. 
He's just and the one who declares and vindicates and says, you are right and I will make you so. Yeah, kick over some glasses. It's amazing. It's amazing. He is the one who declares that this room and everyone in it is right and true. And, and by the way, all these words, I'm, I'm using a lot of words that, that, that kind of all of a sudden we're using Christianese, you know, we're using just and justifier, we're using righteousness, and you realize those are all the same word. It's like eight times in this little passage, righteous, just, justified, and, and, and it all means the same thing. It means, it, it means this uprightness. Because I look at you, do you look upright? Most of you are seated. Morally, got your life together, doing the right things, and you start to realize, what the wrong question. The only question there is, do you trust this Jesus? His uprightness for you. That's life, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's the cry of the New Testament, which is our rightness and our hope and our peace in this room, this room of trusting the gift of Jesus. And this is the cry of the New Testament. Trust Jesus. I mean, this is the idea that we, that we have it. Here's 2 Corinthians 9. Thanks be to God for an expressible gift. Gift means you don't earn it, right? You just receive it. <laughs> like, like you just have it. That, that's what you're given indescribable, so amazingly good, and it's on your lap, and you say, do you want it? I want it. I'm going to open it. Good, you're in the room. Now, what, what exactly, what is this gift? Here it is, Second Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Can it blow your mind a little? How God would become marred and sinful. How God would become it so that you would become his righteousness. Not, not that you might eventually get there if you work on it hard enough and you get over here and we really put some, some elbow grease into making sure you get back under the law and do it. No, he's over here saying, it's done. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He has both sides and you are standing in the room of grace, of gospel, receiving this amazing gift of him for you. You're his treasure. You're what he paid for. You're who he redeemed. You're his family. You're promised a whole new existence different than the life over here. That, that's the good news. We revel in this incredible new truth, the gift culture we step into, the room we're part of, the people we're with. They are not law keepers. They're broken people. They're living by trust, by trusting that Jesus actually did it and it works. So we're raw and broken. We don't have the habits or slow improvements that we can judge. We're, we're receivers of the promise and See, because what I want to do is I want to say, fantastic news, and I want to take the person that's here and drag them back 
no, I don't like this room, over to this one. The furthest away thing. And mix them together and say, now that you have the empowerment of God, now come back under the law with me, will you? We'll show you how this law is done. You'll feel so good about yourself. You're going to attain some righteousness. What's the problem? I'm not under the law. And you're trying to pull yourself back into it. Sure, the world works over here, and you're in the world. It's good for the world. The law never stops for the world. It just stops for you in Christ. That's what he's saying, right? We do damage to the whole message this way, like we go boast of what we accomplish under the law with a little help from God. Paul is very quick to stomp on. I'm, uh, we're going to do most of this next week. But let me just show you just for a second, right? What then becomes of our boasting? What does he mean? Our law-keeping. Look at how good I am. Look at the good things I've done. It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. By that, he doesn't mean to return to the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments by faith. No, he means faith means something. Faith has a meaning. It's not just a word. It's actually trusting in Jesus means you trust that he's done it all for you. There's nothing for you to do. And if something happens and Jesus uses you, he is using you. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of you. It's amazing that he does it. We can revel in it, but there's no boasting to be had because we're the same. Anybody who's in this room is the same. We're going to be new and made new by promise and used by Jesus and have the Holy Spirit and have all these incredible things that God has spoken is true of you. That's where you want your dear real trust to be in the things God says, you know. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that's why this is really, really good news. Really, really good news. This is the right use of the law. It condemns and accuses every one of us every time we go back to the world. We live by the law in the world. It works and we do it because we're in the world. And yet in our heart and where our trust is, is, is we have been freed. And we trust in this Jesus. So Paul's going to end this chapter. I think it's there. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No way. We uphold the law. Because he says, hey, hey, hey. We've been freed from it. We're no longer under it. But in the world and in our flesh, it, it, it stays right there. Of course it's useful. What is it useful for? Showing you sin. What is it useful for? Restraining your flesh. Does the world need to be under it? You better believe it. You can't go into the world, this kingdom of the world, and say, you know what? Let's do away with the law. Why? Because everybody's heart is so broken. What are they going to do? They're going to 
crazily hurt each other, just like I do, thinking I'm trying to do the law, but I fail, and so I do things that aren't perfect, and it splashes on other people. What restrains that? Well, the law limits it at least, and the Bible says, yeah, that's the use of the law. The law shows me, oh, what I need to do is get into this room over here. Yeah, that's the use of the law. We affirm it. Don't you dare go back under it. Jesus died for you. I hope you have questions this morning. This is radical stuff. Most of so-called Christendom tries to merge the law and the gospel. That's why I like the word gospel. just means you take some law and you take the gospel and you slam them together. And you say, what you need to do is love Jesus and then, and then go back and love people well. And when you go do those things, you fulfill the law. You don't fulfill the law, you're not under it. Jesus took the law of commandments that were against you, brother and sister, and he nailed it to the cross. It is gone. This is why we stay here. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Because the power of God is working on these people. Because the righteousness of God is shown in these people. Not over here. Because the wrath of God is very visible there. That's what he says, right? That's Romans 1. That's like the start of Romans. We have no righteousness of our own. Don't start thinking, now that I'm in here, I'm going to go get some of my own righteousness. That's where we went. I want to be found in him, Paul says in Philippians, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through trusting in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on trust, never on the law. I got none, says Paul. The law must be over for any uprightness for you and me. Still useful over here. We're in two worlds. I get it. But don't you miss the incredible newness of what we actually have. Because this is the truth. That Jesus Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness. For every single person who trusts him. There is no better word for you and me than to realize that Jesus Christ has fulfilled it for us. And and, and we can be in this world and we can still see the benefit of sin being pointed out, especially our sin that drives us back to the cross. But, but, But that Jesus has set up the entire world forever and it points to the only way that we will ever be free, which is to trust him forever. So I invite you today to rejoice in the actual good news. This is the big reveal to stand in the room of grace of life and joy and peace and rest. Life is in him. This is why we talk about leaning into this. It's real and true. And, and you do stand accused and the law is not wrong. But there is one who stands in between, who covers and declares you whole, the one who died for you and lives again, who unites you to himself. Oh my goodness, you will be new because you will see him as he is. He treasures you and forgives you and will not waver in getting you exactly where you need to be. This is my Savior. And Paul's just getting started. Hey, would you receive this? Biggest gift ever. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for all you do for us. We don't deserve you. Oh, Lord. 
that we might stand united in this room in trusting your son, Jesus. Father, help us by your spirit to give up our other hopes and trusts, to give up our desires for self-righteousness and to find our uprightness in the work that Jesus has done for us. Thank you that it's true, Lord. Thank you that you give it freely based on your love for us. We've come to know and believe it, that you love us, Lord. And we praise you in the name of your son. Amen.